Welcome to the next edition of Fridays with Fintelect. Today we have with us Dr. Elena Shershneva, an independent expert, trainer, and consultant in the field of AML CFD and head of the AML Academy based in Austria. Elena started her career as a police officer and worked her way up to be the head of the FIU at the Federal Ministry of the Interior based in Vienna. Elena, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome, Shirish. It's a great pleasure. So I'm, I'm very happy to be with you today and I'm looking forward to our conversation. <laughs> Super. And I must say I enjoyed the view that is behind you. I think uh, it looks like you're on holiday. No, I'm not on holiday. That's actually my garden. So that's my everyday working space. <laughs> right. And I'm, yeah, I, I decided that you should enjoy it as well. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Elena, at the outset, uh, could you give our listeners a quick snapshot of your professional career so far? Uh, what are some of the factors or let's say milestones that shaped it and what you are focusing on currently? Yes, of course. Uh, so you, you already mentioned that I'm a police person. So I started my career in the police of Vienna and I uh, switched quite soon to the Russian organized crime unit uh, at the criminal intelligence service and uh, later on to the FIU, which was the next logical step because uh, organized crime is dealing with a lot of money. So I, I wanted to know where this money is coming from, where it's going to and how to stop it. And um, yes, uh, actually, uh, two years ago, I, I left the Ministry of the Interior. So now I'm a freelancing consultant and trainer. I still have uh, a lot of this law enforcement uh, soul in me. So I'm, I'm still uh, very, very focused on compliance solutions uh, that um, are, um, how should I say, that, that just prevent money laundering. Uh, so I personally think that um, good, um, a good fight with money laundering always starts with strong compliance systems in the private sector. And that was also one of the reasons why I decided to go into the training and to work there with, where actually the problem starts uh, to, to really appear. Uh, so uh, I work a lot with reporting entities. I also do still some things for, for governments or uh, also for the European Union, for the European Commission in particular. And uh, that's a good mix. So I enjoy it a lot. And uh, yeah, that's what I do now. Excellent. So Elena, to start off the discussion on the subject, uh, you know, let's start with the European AML Directive, which is considered to be the most stringent in the world. What would you say are the most effective regulatory parts of the AMLD? Well, I, I would say um, at, at the one hand, it's definitely, definitely the, the issue that we have uh, a kind of harmonization in Europe now. So that's, that's a very strong part which the AMLD put in place uh, while, while being, let's say. Um, even if the different countries um, find, find other ways uh, to put it in place, it's, it still sets up a common standard. And that was um, actually also the idea from the European Union as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, that they wanted all the European countries to be at least technically compliant with the FATF provisions. And you said that it's one of the stringent uh, or most stringent regulations. Uh, that's also because it's almost the copy 
paste of the 40 FATF recommendations. I think we can say it like that. Um, I, I believe that it's a very important issue that the AMLD uh, also took uh, this FIU requirements uh, and put it into practice because this wasn't the case uh, so so uh, detailed, let's say, until the fourth anti-money laundering directive. And now with the fifth, we also have more powers uh, written down for the FIU to harmonize all, all the FIU information exchange, also the information exchange uh, between the competent authorities. I also believe that a very strong uh, issue of the EMLD are the registers that are required now. So I'm, I'm talking uh, most of all, not about the beneficial owner register, but about the centralized account registers that have to be there in the countries now. And, and that uh, has a, a big influence on the time you need to put your information together. So it makes the whole system quicker and the data more accessible. And that's, I think, definitely one of the very, very important uh, regulation issues that the AMLD is covering, besides all the other good stuff, of course, with uh, KYC requirements and so on. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So, uh, Elena, according to you, uh, what are some of the priority areas that banks and FIs in Europe, as well as globally, need to address to make the AML safety progress more effective? And do you believe these priority areas change depending on the size, ownership type, and let's say geographical spread of the bank? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think that uh, the development of the last years, uh, the interaction within the financial sector and so on, um, made the requirements stronger for the bank. So it's very easy for a customer today to uh, put a value in country A and to take it out in country X. So uh, the, the way is very short. It, it goes within a very small period of time. And that's the biggest challenge, I think, also for the banks, for the financial institutions. Um, on, on the one hand, to know who the customer is, included uh, the beneficial ownership, which is also, from, from my perspective, the biggest challenge in practice to, to figure out who the ultimate beneficial owner is, not the one in the register, because uh, that's a complete different story, as, as you know. Um, but this transparency, um, because when transactions go very fast, so when it's very easy to, to transfer this money, on the other hand, you need a very, very big transparency to be able to, to grant this speed to the customer. And we see it, frankly speaking, again now. Uh, I, I don't know um, if you already have it, have this information also in your country, I, I guess, of course. But uh, in Austria, yesterday, the FinCEN leaks were also released. And there you again see that the European banks have been used, um, especially as correspondence banks, uh, to, to transfer billions of dollars from uh, let's say, unclear sources uh, to Europe. And that is something that wouldn't work if the systems weren't there. So what, what I believe is that in the last years, the requirements for the banks are, are much uh, more complex. So it's, it's really required to understand what's going on 
end, and that is, in, in my opinion, one of the hardest steps, to take the responsibility to decide what to do with customers, even without a possible feedback from the FIU. And I, I think that's, that's this uh, challenge that is occurring here in, in this new situation. Right. Or in, in the situations uh, as we have seen them in the last year. Right. So, uh, Elena, one of the, um, uh, you know, complaints that most of the regulators uh, always have is that the quality of suspicious transaction reports filed by reporting entities are uh, not very useful at times. So, uh, you've been, uh, you know, in that position as well, where you've seen a lot of reports. So can you provide any pointers for banks uh, to improve the quality of the STRs or SARs filed by them in order to actually make them more effective and useful, both to the FIU as well as, you know, consequently to the sector regulators or to the law enforcement agencies? Yes, that's a very important question. And, um, I believe that first of all, we need to understand that these are two different systems that we are operating in. So when you look at the, at the 40 recommendations and also at the ML directive and at all the laws that we have in other countries around the world, these systems that apply for the banks and for the other reporting entities are preventive systems. Meaning that the, the mean task when you are fulfilling and, and doing your KYC, CDD, EDD, whatever checks, um, the purpose is to prevent criminals from the misuse uh, of, of the financial system. Okay, so the, the purpose is, is not to, to find a perpetrator and to, and to bring him into jail, but the purpose is that if a person comes with a suitcase full with money and he wants to pay it in and it's not clear where the source from the money is from, then he just shouldn't be able to do it. That's, that's the main purpose of, of all that regulation. And then there is, of, of course, also the possibility to file an SDR if really something suspicious occurs. But that's another step. And in, in my, um, let's say my experience shows that it gets mixed up very easily. So what, what happens is that banks file an SDR and then they try to, uh, well, let's say to make the FIU responsible to decide what should happen with the customer. And that's not what the system is made for. So the system is made for uh, the bank being able to send away customer if he's uh, generally not, not, not uh, prop properly declared or whatever, yeah? Um, so when banks file an SDR, I think it's very important to consider that they know the customer quite well and that the FIU doesn't know their customers at all. So uh, that's the very first step that it's important to explain why this particular customer with his particular behavior is uh, suspect, uh, suspicious. What, what was it? Why did you file the SDR? And that's an information that is sometimes missed. Of course, it depends on the system in your country. So when you have only threshold reports without any additional information that then you wouldn't be able to give this information. But in the systems where you have suspicious action reports, that is a very, very important step. So to explain why the suspicion. And the second important step, which is important for the bank, is to decide already in advance how shall I deal with this customer? 
if the FIU maybe doesn't react, if I don't receive any feedback, shall I keep him? Shall I make the next 100 transactions um, and, and having like a stomach ache every time, you know? <laughs> so, so that's, you, you're laughing, I'm laughing, but that's actually, that's, that's a very important topic because that's the root of, I think, 90% of the problems that we have now in the last years in the media. So these are banks who decide, okay, this customer is kind of, of maybe a little bit weird, but we will keep him because <laughs> he brings a lot of money and, and that's, that's not the idea of the system. And um, I think the third very important point is to understand that the banks and the financial sector are doing an awesome job. They're, they're absolutely, they're doing a highly qualified, job where they see a lot of things where they uh, realize that a lot is going on where they are meeting a lot of right decisions but still it has nothing to do with the fact whether this SDR will lead to, to a court proceeding or to an investigation or not because what the authorities are working with is the predicate offense is the suspicion of a concrete um, criminal action. And there is a, a huge gap between the customer being not, not really stringent with, with what he's saying and a criminal procedure that leads uh, to, to arrest and to confiscations and so on. And people should consider that this gap is real, that they can't do actually nothing to close it. So that's maybe a little bit frustrating, but I, I don't want it to sound frustrating. It's it's just, it's important to understand that these are two different worlds. And the success of a law enforcement procedure and if there will be any conviction or not, is not um, dependent by the, the the SDR, the bank is filing at the end of the day, but of the quality and of the possibilities uh, that the law enforcement authorities are putting into this case, and also of the, let's say, uh, intelligence and capabilities of the criminals that are acting. Because when a criminal wants to disguise um, a specific source of money, a specific criminal action, and he's really putting efforts into it. And he's sitting at home and thinking, brainstorming for two years, how will be the best thing to do it? Then he will succeed, most most likely. So then he really needs, uh, that, that there, there needs to be a mistake that the authorities still can catch him. But the bank is sitting in the position that they can say, okay, sounds good, but no. Right. And, and that's, I think that's the situation. <laughs> right. Thank, thank, very well, very well uh, put, uh, Elena. So, uh, you know, Elena, I also wanted to get your thoughts on uh, public-private partnerships. You know, the pandemic and the rise in financial crime activity across the world has actually brought more focus uh, on this, uh, you know, area of, let's say, financial information sharing uh, and PPPs. So, uh, what are your views on PPPs? I mean, are there any particular areas that you think such partnerships would be most suited uh, based on your experience? Yeah, so uh, to, to take all the tension, let's say from the beginning, I think that PPPs are really a, a great uh, thing. So um, it's, it's absolutely necessary 
to cooperate to exchange information because all of that all, all these mechanisms we were already talking about are at the end of the day based on trust so so that's that's just the human component in that so uh, when a bank files an SDR uh, there is some trust needed that the authorities will handle it quite well and you can build trust only by cooperating to making by making good experiences together and by seeing that it works and it's the same the other way around because as long as the authority believes that any information that they give to the private sector will be forwarded to possible customers or perpetrators there will be no such information exchange and therefore i think that it's very very important that the private sector the supervision sector and also the law enforcement sector cooperate very closely that they get to know each other that they get to know each other's needs because um, this, uh, what we were talking before about what, what does need to be mentioned in an SDR and so on, uh, that's a very individual thing. So in, in country A, it might be something completely different as in country B. And you can only communicate this need and, and enhance the whole system when you are communicating together, when you're working together, when you trust each other. And in, in that light, I believe that it's very important that we have all these PPP projects. Um, but there is one thing that needs to be considered. You can't, uh, you can't force someone to trust. So when, when you have, uh, let's say, a national situation that isn't a good ground for this trust to grow, then you can put PPP initiatives in the low for a thousand times and nothing will work. So it will be only paper. Um, so yes, it's, it's definitely a good thing. It needs to be um, also pushed a little bit by the government to make it possible uh, that every authority stretches a little bit and let's say uh, also like we say in Austria, jumps over its shadow and, and shares information and uh, just meets people, communicates with them. But still, um, the most important factor are the people that are participating. And as long as these people don't fit together, it, it's hard to build a really good PPP environment. Right. So uh, in closing, uh, Elena, you know, our community is made up mainly of AML CFT compliance folks. Uh, so what is your advice to them in terms of the practical skills or capabilities that they should develop to become more successful in their careers going forward? The first skill is a soft skill. <laughs> and it's, uh, I, I, I would call it as responsible thinking. So, so it's, I, I think it's very important um, to develop a good feeling of, of the circumstances that, that you see. Um, I, I always say it's, it's all, you, you feel it in your stomach, you feel it in your gut when something is not good with a customer, if something is not okay. And I think that especially in the compliance, the trust for this feeling is key. Because when you don't have a good feeling, then it's nothing that fell off the sky. It's, it's a total, uh, let's say, consolidation of all your experience that you made through your whole life, through your all, all professional career. 
and this is something you should trust. Maybe it's nothing that you can reasonably, let's say, uh, put down and say, okay, that's the thing that, that is disturbing in, in all that case, but your, your subconscious knows it. And I think that you really should start trusting your, your gut. You should trust your feeling about uh, particular customers. And if you don't have a good feeling, then don't go for it. Then find a reason to end the customer relationship. And I think then you will be on a good path. And uh, in terms of, of professional skills, I think that analysis uh, of, of data, this, this capability to bring data together and to, to get the um to get a result from it that this is required more than ever in our times because data keeps growing uh, there will be also a need for a basic understanding for new technologies such as uh, all this um, analytical prog programs uh, also maybe artificial intelligence what's definitely needed is that you keep on informing yourself about what's going on in the world outside. What do criminals use? What new technologies do criminals have? Uh, you shall know that uh, you can, that, that it's not really an effort to buy a, f a falsified or forged document in the darknet. It's, it's like five minutes and three clicks and you have it. And you ha need to be aware of that. And to be aware of that, you still need to keep on inform yourself about what's going on. Um, and you, you should really work on your capability to just meet decisions and to stand to these decisions because this non-decision taking in, in my opinion is really one of the, um, of, of the parts that makes the, the situation as we have it in, in, in the world now, because in every big case, there were thousands of people who said, yes, from the beginning, I thought that this might not be a good idea. And there are a hundred people like this and every one of these hundred said, well, but mm, let's do it anyway, because nobody is meeting a decision that we shouldn't. So be yourself the one who takes this decision, if possible, of course, uh, in, in terms of your standing and, and stand for it, go for it. Yeah. Excellent. Thank, thank you so much, Elena. Uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts and thanks for being here uh, with us on Fridays with Fintlect. Uh, it yeah, was really you. a pleasure to host you. Thank you very much, Shirish, for the invitation. It was also a pleasure to have this, this talk with you. And um, yeah, um, I wish you all the best. <laughs> thank you. We wish you the very same, Elena. <laughs>